So today's second Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. That's on page 1180 in our Pew Bibles. Um, So Romans chapter 4, verse 1 to 25. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those... Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. In this blessedness, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are the circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations just as it has been said to him so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through the unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. These words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will be credited righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Good evening, friends. Uh, Do grab an outline if you don't have one. 
We've been uh, making our way through this uh, very dense and wonderful book, really, the book of Romans. It is dense, so we do need God's prayer. Uh, We need to pray to God, in fact. We need God's help. Uh, So let's do that. Let's pray to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray as we reflect on big topics and big themes and about salvation. You will help us to understand it as you meant us to understand it. Help us all, Lord, uh, to have open hearts and ears and eyes to see what we meant to see. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how complicated do you think the Christian faith is? See, out of all the thousands of religions in the world, how complicated is Christianity? Now, for those of you who have been living and believing as a Christian for quite a while, I'm sure you would agree with me that you can never really exhaust the depths and the riches of what you learn in the Bible. You never exhaust the depths and the riches of the Christian faith. There's always more to learn about God. There's always more to learn about the Trinity. There's more to learn about the work of the Spirit, the work of the Lord Jesus. There's more to learn. Is it predestination? Is it election? Is it the sovereignty of God, the human responsibility, expiation, propitiation, penal substitutionary atonement? Is it limited atonement? Is it particular atonement? Is it infusion of righteousness? Is it imputation of righteousness? Is it infralapsarian? Is it supralapsarian? There's some geeky theological words for you that no one understands, so it shows you how much I don't understand. But I wonder whether we sometimes see Christianity as such a complex faith. I mean, you can always keep on learning and learning, and that is right, that is good. But we can never exhaust learning about the Christian faith. You can never master Christianity, it masters us. And sometimes it just feels all too complicated. You go to Bible college for four years and it ages you eight years. Just look at our students. One losing hair very quickly. I went to Bible college, took four years, far more difficult than my engineering degree. But how complicated do you think the Christian faith is? I mean, I've heard people make comments like this. I can't be a Christian until I've read the Bible cover to cover. Or I can't be a Christian until I learn more than I do. Of course, that is true. There's always more to learn. Always more to learn. We want us all to learn. We want you to learn. That's why we want to get our theology right, our doctrine right. That's why we're running this debate. That's why we have Bible talks and Bible studies. We want to get it right. But I wonder whether sometimes... We're in danger of overcomplicating things in the Christian faith. You see, to become a Christian, to be saved, is something that even the youngest of babies can do. The youngest of children can do. I mean, we don't expect children to understand the ins and outs of astrophysics, do we? Not a normal baby anyway. But children have within their capacity to know enough to be saved. So if children can be saved, are we overcomplicating things as adults? And so how complicated do you think the Christian faith really is? Well, the Christian faith is, in fact, really quite simple. And it really comes down to this. God has said to us, in his kindness, out of love, he has said to us, just Trust me, and you'll be saved. Just trust me. I'll sort it out with my son, and you'll be saved. Just trust me. You see, Christianity comes down to a promise. God says to us, 
just trust me and you will be saved. In fact, this is one point where Christianity stands unique among all the religions of the world. You see, no other religion puts faith at the dominant center of our relationship with God. You see, in, in, at the heart of Islam, the heart of Buddhism, uh, the heart of Hinduism, they do not claim that you only merely believe, and that's okay. They, they do not claim such a thing. But in Christianity, it comes down to this. God makes a promise to us. Just trust me, and you will be saved. And that's what we see in this passage. This passage makes that clear to us. After describing for, uh, for, for the last few chapters how pitch black this world is, and after describing in the last bit we looked at last week how anyone can be saved, Paul now makes clear it's really just about your faith, not your works. It is about your faith before you do any works. It is about your faith because God has promised this is what we're going to look at. So firstly, what we learn here is that we don't have to overcomplicate things at all in the Christian faith. It is really just about your faith in God, not your works in yourself. Faith, not works. This was the case for Abraham, the great patriarch. And this was also the case for David, the great king. They will be saved, they were saved by faith in God, not by their brilliant works. But how, uh, what, what do we mean when we talk about faith? Now, to have faith, we throw this word around quite a lot. To have faith is really the same as to believe in, or to trust in, or to depend upon. Same group of words in the Greek. And so you can picture it like this. You know the game you play with kids uh, called trust? You know that game? where you get the kids, we play this with our kids, we get them to stand, and I stand behind them, and we get them to lean back straight in a straight figure, not bending their knees, lean back without any fear that I would drop them. That is trust. See how much you trust me. And, and the test is to see how far they go down. So the idea is that they hopefully will trust me and would trust me that I would not just let them drop and crack their heads open. But playing this game, it, it helped me see how much the kids trusted me. I even tried, it, tried this with Yvonne. She wouldn't trust me. <laughs> even though I do push-ups and pull-ups. Nothing wrong with our marriage. We don't need counselling. But to have faith is for them to lean back all the way without bending their knees, without worrying, but trusting that I would catch them. In fact, that's how this missionary, John Payton, that's how he described faith. He was this uh, missionary in the 1800s. He went to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And when he was translating the Bible into the local language, we, when he came across the word faith, there's no word faith in their language. And so he struggled to translate it. But then one day what happened was one of the indigenous helpers came in and, and Peyton, what he did was he raised both his feet laid back in his chair and he said to his this helper he said what am i doing and the helper used the word that meant to lean your whole weight upon to lean your whole weight upon and Peyton said that's it that's the expression i will use to translate the word faith to lean your whole weight upon and, and so here to have faith in god is to lean your whole weight upon god 
That's what Abraham did. And when he did that, he was declared righteous. Righteous. Not because he was a great person. You see, when you read the story of Abraham, he was a failure just like us. He was a moral failure just like us. He lied about Sarah. He made moral mistakes. But he put his whole weight upon God. And so that's what we see. Look at verses 1 to 3. So we'll have a look at our passage. Verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so do you see what happened in this passage? What happened to Abraham? In chapter 3, we learn of the term justification. Remember that last week? It's a legal term. To be justified means to be declared righteous, innocent, guilt-free by a judge. But now what Paul does in chapter 4 is he uses that term in a financial way. To be credited is like to get something into your bank account that you did not work for and you don't deserve. To be credited with something into your account. So used in a financial way. Now, now I... The way I understood this was a few years ago, um, I, we got our uh, invoice of Esther's school fees. And something strange, you know, normally we have to pay something, but there was a big credit this time. We were wondering why. We thought maybe there's a mistake. It was a big amount, a couple of thousand dollars that, that paid off the year. And we're thinking, what, what happened here? The school must have made a mistake. And so we caught up to the, uh, caught up the school, talked to the accounts lady there, and said, something wrong here, you know, take it back, it's not ours. But the lady said, someone wanted to give, give it anonymously. How wonderful was that? Something was credited to our account that we did not work for, nor did we deserve it. It was credited to our account. That's what happened to Abraham. Now, I'm telling you this, uh, it's not to encourage any of you to do such a thing at all, you see, so don't worry about that. But you see here, Abraham was credited into his account a righteousness that was not inherently his. He did not earn this righteousness. He did not work for it. And that makes sense, which Paul goes on to describe. It's different to doing a job. You work eight hours, you deserve an eight hours wage. That's what you deserve. That's an obligation. But here, there's no work done at all. Only faith only trust god says you trust me lean your whole weight upon me and that's enough i will credit into your account righteousness so we see that verses four and five now when a man works his wages are not credited to him as a gift but as an obligation however to the man who does not work but trusts god who justifies the wicked his faith is credited to him as righteousness and so it is all faith, not works. You see, keep it simple here, the Christian faith. It is all faith, not works, just believe. And, and it was no different for King David. David didn't say, blessed is the man who is powerful and rich and morally upright. But look at what David said, verse 7 and 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And so do you see what David says here? 
there's a double accounting. God takes away the debt and adds a credit. God takes away the sin and adds a righteousness. That is what it looks like to be blessed by God. And how do you get that? Well, God says, just trust me. Just believe. Lean your whole weight completely upon me and you will get it. Now, that should help us see that Christianity is actually quite simple at its core. Just lean our whole weight upon God. And so it is faith, not works, because it was faith before works. You see, whatever good works, whatever religious effort that Abraham did, it was all after he was already credited with righteousness. You see, he already had it in his account. I'm righteous before God already. You see, when Abraham was circumcised, that happened in Genesis chapter 17. He was 99 years old. As an old man, he circumcised himself and his household. Chapter 17. But when was he credited as righteous? That was in our first Bible reading in chapter 15. It happened beforehand, about 14 years earlier. God already made the promise, and in that chapter, God said he will keep that promise. And so what Paul is making clear here from Abraham's example was that his, his circumcision, his religious effort, had no bearing at all on his justification, which had already taken place. So have a look, verses 10 to 11. Paul questions, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. You see, it's, it's faith that saves, not works, because faith happened before works. And that was the way it was throughout the Old Testament. Nothing's changed. It's the same with the Israelites. Remember God's great display of salvation, how he saved these people from Egypt? What, what happened then? Well, Israel, the nation of Israel, was saved from slavery. They were saved first before any laws or commandments were given to them. And it is the same today for Christians. You become a Christian first before you learn to live the life of a Christian. You can't live a life of a Christian before you become a Christian. You never live like a Christian before you become a Christian. Faith before works. But Paul is also making another point here, and that is, Abraham here, he became the father of all who shares in the same faith as him. He became this paradigm of faith. And that's regardless of whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, because that has no place in justification. So verse 11 again, the second half. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And so it is faith, not works, because it was faith before works. That's how it was with Abraham. That's how it remains today for everyone. And finally here in this passage, we, we see this. Faith is in fact the only proper response when promises are made. Abraham had faith because God had promised. God, you, you promise, you promise these many blessings to me, you promise this inheritance, you, you promise that through me the world will be blessed. I mean, I don't know how you're going to do that, God, but I will trust you. I will lean my whole weight upon you. 
That's what Abraham did. He responded to a promise with faith. That's what you do with a promise. When a promise is made, it demands faith. You trust in a promise as opposed to laws and commandments. What do you do there? When a law is made, it demands obedience. You obey it. Promise, you trust it. Law, you obey it. It's a bit like what happens at a, at, at a wedding. At a wedding, are promises made or are laws made? Of course, at a wedding, promises are made. They're the wedding vows. And so when the husband says to his wife, uh, I will take you, I uh, promise to take you as my wife to love and to cherish, then it's really up to the wife then, at that point, but also for the rest of her life, to trust in that promise, to trust in her husband. You see, at a wedding, laws are not being made. The husband does not command. From this day forward, wife, you shall obey my every command. Because if he did such a thing, then she would have to obey. But that's not what happens at a wedding. You have faith in a promise, but you obey laws. There's a distinction there. That's a, poor, a point Paul goes on to make. Abraham received the promise, not because he obeyed the law, but because he trusted the promises. Have a look, verses 13 to 14. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he will be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. And because the promise comes through faith, not through law, then Paul makes the same point as he did earlier. It is open to all. Because you don't need to be circumcised, because you don't need the law, Abraham became the father of all who has faith. And so he makes that in, in verses 16 onwards. Have a look. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And so do you see what happened there? Promises were made. Abraham trusted. He believed. But then how was it possible that Abraham could have such faith in these extraordinary promises? God's promise that he would be the father of many nations. How do you respond to such a promise? How do you imagine hearing that? He was promised that the whole world would be blessed through him. Imagine hearing that. I mean, people break promises all the time. Even wedding vows. I mean, how many broken marriages you know of because people have not kept their promise. And so how could Abraham possibly have such faith with such amazing, extraordinary promises? Well, you see, the strength of his faith lied in the power of the promise giver. If God makes a promise, you trust it. He is faithful and he's powerful enough to carry it through. This is the God who both creates and raises the dead. If this God makes a promise, what do you do? You trust it. And so verse 17, this is the God, the God who gives life to the dead and causes things that are not though they were. And that's why Abraham was able to, even as an old age, I mean, he, he was old, but his wife was also old. He was as good as dead. And Sarah's womb was as good as dead. 
How do you make such a crazy promise like you're going to have a son? But Abraham did not fail to trust in the promises of God because he trusted that this God is powerful. This God is faithful. Look at verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And so Abraham had faith because God promised. It's really as simple as that. At the heart of Christianity, God makes a promise. What do you do with that? Well, you trust it. But what's important for us to understand here, it's not so much how big and strong his faith was, but how big and strong and faithful God is. And so when people talk about, I don't have enough faith. I wish I had the same amount of faith as you. What's wrong when people make comments like that? Well, what's wrong is that it's misplacing faith. It's putting faith in my faith. You can't trust in how big and strong your faith is, but you can trust in how big and strong God is. You see, the importance of faith is not faith itself, but it is the object of faith, who you are depending on, who you are putting your whole weight upon. Now, a former lecturer at a, at a Bible college, at a seminary in America, Paul Little, he said this, a strong faith in a weak bridge will not bridge the gulf. But a weak faith in a strong bridge will get you to the other side. You see, the, the strength of faith is in God's ability to bring it about. It's in the object of faith. And so just like Abraham, we can have faith because God promised. We're not having faith in some random illogical thing. God has promised. And this was written for us too, our final verses. Have a look, verse 23. The words it was credited to him as righteousness were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. See, the resurrection is God's powerful declaration to the world. Jesus is righteous and so too are all those who believe in him. And so how can anyone have such faith? Well, it's because God promised. It lies with him. It is really as simple as that. And so how complicated do you think the Christian faith really sounds? It really comes down to this, doesn't it? It comes down to the God of all eternity, the God who made heaven and earth. He said to us, I promise you a righteousness that is not your own. You cannot earn it. You cannot make it up. You cannot uh, uh, do anything to gain it. But I promise it to you. I promise you your salvation. I promise you an eternity with me in heaven. It comes down to that. God has made promises. Do you trust me? Will you lean your whole weight upon me? See, it is faith, not works, that saves. It was faith before any works was done. And it is faith simply because God has promised. And so what does this mean for us today? It, it, it's hopefully making clear to us at the heart of our faith is really faith. Faith in God. So what does it mean? Well, firstly, it means that if it is all about trusting God, 
then what we get from God is all grace. It is free. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. Completely, absolutely free. And so Christianity is that simple. There's a free gift. Will you receive it? You see, faith alone, this is one of the Reformation slogans, faith alone safeguards grace alone. In fact, the sole purpose of faith is to receive what grace offers. The sole purpose of faith is to receive what grace offers. It is the opening up of your hands, stretching it out to receive a free gift from God. Christianity is that simple. God makes a promise, offers a gift, will you receive it? But then I suspect for some of us, this idea of a free gift might be difficult to accept. Many people find that, in fact, hard to accept. You hear people say, nothing in life is free, or this is just too good to be true, there's something wrong here. And we're uncomfortable when anything is free. You know, buy a set of steak knives and you get another one free. That's not free. Uh, our gas and electricity company convinces us that every three months we get these free gold class tickets. It's not free. We pay for it through higher rates. Or when someone offers you something free, we might be suspicious. What's in this for you? What do you want from me? In fact, for some to receive a gift undermines their worth. Look at this guy, what he said, a motivational speaker, Jim Ron. He said, the major value in life is not what you get. The major value in life is what you become. This is why I wish to pay fair price for every value. If I have to pay for it to earn it, it, it makes something of me. But if I get it for free, that makes nothing of me. And so according to this guy, he has to pay for everything. Our worth is tied to what we can pay. But he in the gospel, the promise of God, the gift of God, completely, entirely, absolutely free, it is grace. It means that I must acknowledge my unworthiness, I don't deserve it. Not one bit. But it means also that I acknowledge somehow my worth in God, that God would love me still. And so we can, you know, the other quote that people say, the best thing in life is really free, and it is. Salvation is free. Righteousness is free. Life with God in heaven for all eternity is free. You can't buy, you can't earn it, you can't reach it. And so if we think about that, it is all grace. Faith safeguards grace. That should blow our minds. This is free. The best thing you can ever get in life is free. Made possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so faith is to humbly forsake self-confidence, self-righteousness, false optimism to receive what grace offers. Faith safeguards grace. It is free. But now if we understand this, we should see how simple the Christian faith is. Christianity does not need to be overcomplicated because it is all about trusting in the promises of God. And if we do, that gives us real assurance of our salvation and it in fact makes life now so much easier to live. So faith here assures us of our salvation. But of course there are so many things in life that will challenge that, will make us feel insecure. Many things in life challenge, challenge any sense of assurance we might have. 
things will challenge our studies, our work, our relationships, our health, our plans, our goals, our purposes. There are many things that would undermine our plans, our purposes, and challenge any assurance we might have in them. This past week, what happened was this, this came clear to me. This past week, we went to see our financial planner, whom we've been avoiding for a few years. Do you know what the sole purpose of a financial planner is? Is to make you feel insecure and unassured with everything in life. Are you sure you'll have enough when you retire? Are you sure you'll, you'll have food on the table? Are you sure you'll have enough life insurance when you do get cancer and trauma and you're in a coma and you die? Do you know if you have enough for your family? They're, they're there just to make you feel insecure. Are, are you sure that when you die, y Yvonne and your kids will be able to survive and not be on the streets? It's worse than going to a dentist. But it did highlight to me that there is not much in life that we can have assurance of. There is nothing that actually gives us any assurance or confidence in life. But if we understand this today, what Paul teaches, faith not works. Faith before any works, faith because God's promise, it is our assurance in this life and the next. And all it takes is for what Jesus taught. Remember what Jesus taught about faith. How big must your faith be to be saved? Anyone remember that story? As big as a, a bag of chocolates? No. Mustard seed. Now, I... I, I I bought, oh no, I got Yvonne to buy this a few years ago when I used this as an illustration. But mustard seed are really small. Do you see that? That's the point. You can't see it. <laughs> but, but what he's saying is, if your faith is just as small as this, but it is in the right direction, in the God who makes these promises, it is enough. It is enough. And so if God is promising, Lord, you're saying, even if my faith is as small as this, even though you, you know my life, you know what I've done wrong, you know where I've sinned, you know what I did when I was 5 and 7 and 18 and 20 and 25, you know all my black heart, all that is hidden inside. You know all that, God. And even though you know all my failings, my continued struggles, you know all the dark places of my heart. But if you, God, know all that, and you say, if I have this much faith in you, that you would count my sins not against me, but you will count a, a righteousness because of my faith, I'm going to trust in you. I'll have this much faith. I'll have this much faith in you, God. And if you promise, Lord, that you'll bring me to heaven, you'll give me eternal life, you will care for me during this life, you will love me during this life, you'll walk with me during this life, well, I'm not going to live my life in despair then. I'm not going to live my life without this hope. I'm not going to live my life without this help from God. I'm not going to live my life trying to do my best. What will I do? Well, if you promise God that's all, I will have this much faith. Hopefully it will grow, but I will have this much faith in you. I will trust you. I will lean my whole weight upon you. I will rest in your grace. See, there's not much assurance we can get out of life at all. But we can get it here, in where it counts most. Faith safeguards grace. It is free. Faith assures us of salvation. And Christianity, it is in a sense simple. It comes down to this. God has promised us in his son who died for us, who was raised for our justification. Will you believe in him? 
and trust in no other? Will your soul be satisfied in him alone? It comes down to that. That promise, will you? Well, for me and my family, for us, we had our on our wedding invite, in fact, we will trust the Lord. We will, and our prayer for all of you is that you will too have your faith in the one who makes these promises. Let's pray.